and welcome back to the State of Flux podcast. I am Rich Nardo, and today our guest is music industry vet, documentarian, and adjunct professor in music business, Andre Howard. Dre is a good friend of mine and one of the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure of working with, so it's no surprise that he gave a ton of great advice in this interview. From working at a bank in Buffalo to moving to NYC and building a career as an innovator at places like Def Jam, Violator, Republic, Monarch, and now United Masters, there's a ton in Dre's story that I think you're going to find inspiring. We get into his background, what both independent and big name artists need to do in 2023 to connect with fans, and why his position as an adjunct professor at NYU has him so excited about the next generation of music industry professionals. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Are you ready? I'm excited. That's a good way to start the conversation. I'm excited. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just bought me a new Josh Allen jersey, too. Nice, <laughs> nice. I was just going to say, like, now that I got you all fired up on football yeah. talk, it would be a good idea. I got you high energy that we can actually get into the interview part of this. Yes, sir. How you doing today, Dre? I'm good, brother. How are you, man? Good to see I'm you. Doing... Long time. Yeah, it's been too long, man. Uh, there's a time where I saw you basically every day when you were at Monarch, and I was doing a lot of work from them. Yeah, man. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? Time flies because, what was that, 2018, 2019? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it just goes to show you how fast time flies. Like, you forget, like, pre-COVID, right? You know what I mean? Because even the COVID time for as long as it lasts, now, since it's been over for the last year and a half, two years, you feel me? It's like, oh, you forgot about that. But you're right, yeah. man. Like, literally, I, I saw you every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're from Buffalo originally. Yes, sir. And when you got into the music industry, did you go right to New York City or did you were you working from home in Buffalo and then ended up moving on later on? No, nah, that's a great question, man. Um, no, nah, man, I had to come here. I had to come to New York City. This was a time, you know, you're talking about, you know, late 90s, you know, early 2000s when, you know, the advent of the Internet is what allowed people to stay regional. Like, you know, so, you know, back then you had to go to where the action was. So if you weren't in New York City, Atlanta or Los Angeles, or Nashville, you know, depending on the type of music you made. You know what I mean? It probably was harder for you to break out. I'm not saying people didn't have respective scenes and things happening in those towns, but, you know, like if you wanted to get a record deal or work at a label, you had to go to those cities, you know? And that's what I had to do, man. Like I had to, right after I finished grad school, I moved to New York City. And was that your motivation? Like you did grad school and then you're like, I want to go into the music industry. So I'm going to New York City. Did you have a job lined up already or did you come here and, and start to search? No, nah, man. No, nah, listen, man. I came here. The economy, you know, I could even go back to who the president was. I remember. I'm not going to date myself that much. But the economy was it was a real good economy. So like at the time when I was in grad school, I, I worked for this bank uh, at night. Uh, it was called HSBC and uh, I was a claims adjuster. So like almost almost like a, you know, like a debt collector, you feel me? But for a bank, so it was like people really had to pay or we were coming to get their cars and, you know, and foreclose. And this it's, it sounds bad, but like I was horrible at it. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> I, I didn't care. I didn't, there was no passion behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I did that and I was trying to make, so I came down and when I came to New York City to find my apartment, I was trying to transfer to see if I can, you know, do that. I, I even wanted to be a bank teller and they, they weren't allowing me to transfer. So when I came to New York City, bro, I put my first and last deposit down on an apartment. I had like 2,500 bucks to my name and I just had to beat the streets, man, you know, yeah. beat the pavement to find something, you know. And Def Jam was your first job, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Def Jam was my first industry job, man. I got lucky. Um, I was interning at a recording studio. So again, just going back to the job. 
I was working for this company called Visiting Nurse Services in New York during the day. And I was uh, like a Medicaid. I was working with like getting Medicaid for like uh, like older people. I was like a private, you know, private insurance company. And then uh, at night, I was interning at this recording studio called Chung King, Chung King Studios, which is ironically enough, a block away from where the old monarch offices used to be. It was right on Varick. And, uh, you know, I don't know what John King is doing now and even if he's alive, but he was crazy as cat shit. But, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's a good dude. But um, so I was interning there at night, man, uh, from like six to midnight and working at nine to five. And I, I would meet so many different people. Uh, even in there, I worked on some great projects, man, from like most deaf, black on both sides. Um, I worked on this project, this video game with like David Bowie. You know what I mean? And like, That's you know, sick. you know, Jam Master J, rest in peace to, you know, him. I, I saw Old Dirty Bastard uh, rip a LL Cool J. Mama said, knock you off, plaque off the wall and piss on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff. But uh, I met this uh, A&R Def Jam, man. A guy by the name of Jojo Brim, who I'm still cool with to this day. Uh, and he gave me his number. And little did he know, that's the, <laughs> the worst thing he could have did, man. Because uh, I called this cat every day, bro, for like a month. Every day. And I would leave the same generic message. Like, hey, this is Andre Howard, you know, trying to get in touch with you. You know, hey, this is Andre Howard. You know, like, and when he finally got back to me, he's like, damn, man, like, like you blew me up. You feel me? Like, you blowing my phone up. He's like, but you know what? I appreciate it because you call every day like it was a new day. And to me, it was because it wasn't personal. It wasn't like I'm calling you, Rich. Like, Rich, man, why you ain't hitting me back? You feel me? Like, Rich, get back to me. You know what I mean? So it was, to me, it was just like every day was a new day. I was just trying to get some time, some FaceTime with him. So when, when I met with him, um, he was like, listen, man, my team is full, but we had a new a who just started uh, and he might need some help. So he introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Jaha Johnson. And I started being his assistant that day. And uh, I assisted him for like three months. And with three, within three months, I had my own office. You know what I mean? I was an a manager up there. You feel me? So like... Yeah. I was working with uh, like Red Man and Method Man, and, you know, and all types of stuff. You know, it was crazy, man. You know, and again, coming from Buffalo, New York, Def Jam will always be the Motown of hip hop. You know what I mean? Because it's just so seminal as a label and for what it did for hip hop. You know, with this being the 50th anniversary of hip hop, you know, I, mean, I got my T-shirt on. Ironically enough, I didn't do that on purpose, but I just have it on. But like, you know, when you talk, obviously it's been labels who started in different places, but Def Jam is the nucleus. You know what I mean, like uh, Russ, you know, Russell Simmons, I, I got to give him his kudos. He has a lot of other issues that happen, you know, that's going on in his life right now. But as an executive, you know, and as a talent scout, you know what I mean? Like he's the grandfather. He's the godfather of this hip hop shit, man. Like, you know, and then you think about the, the artists who come from there, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Public Enemy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then it goes into Method Man and Red Man and then Jay-Z and Ja Rule and DMX. You know what I mean? So like, and Ludacris. So like, you know, you're talking about a label that to this day is still going, you know, and just brand wise, you know, it's almost like McDonald's, you know what I mean? Or Levi's. When you see that DJ or you see that vinyl with the needle, you you just know it's Def Jam. So, yeah, yeah I started there, man. It was great. And then you worked at a lot of other bigger places. We mentioned Monarchy One. You were at Violator for a while, Family Tree. And yeah. one reason I always loved working with you was because you are very much one, you're like, all right, here's the plan. We got to get this done. But you're also, you're very innovative. You're And reading through your bio, there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know about stuff that you were kind of like spearheaded. So one of my questions is, you know, when you're working at those big companies like that, there's always a lot of red tape. So how did you, as a young music industry person, when you had these great ideas, like how were you able to push through so many innovative ideas and get around. Um, one, thank you for that. Uh, 
but two, you know, I'd be remiss to not say working alongside people like yourself, right? So you get people to one see and buy into the vision, whatever that may be. And then more importantly than that, man, I would say, man, it, it kind of goes back to how I got at Jojo Brim at Def Jam. Like, I'm I'm just relentless, man. You feel me? Like, like I, I just have this unbridled passion for music, you know what I mean, in, in the industry. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm a student of it. The reason why I even moved to New York City, because I was the kid looking at the back of the Tribe Called Quest credits and seeing who is Bob Power? Where's Fire Engine Studios? Like, where's Green Street Studios? Like, who is this? Who is this engineer? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I knew who Q-Tip and, you know, and Ali and Fife was, but like, who mixed this album? You know what I mean? Who produced this and how was it recorded? So, you know what I mean? Like, I just re was relentless in that regard, man. And also, too, as a creative, I don't get too attached to an idea, right? Like, you know, like, because once it comes out, it becomes a community idea, especially once everyone starts building on to it. And you want your credit. Like, like, again, everyone wants their credit, especially if something blows up, right? Like, you don't want to be the guy sitting at the bar one day, like, you know, it's my idea. I came up with PayPal, right? And you have nothing to show for it. But at the same time, man, like, you know, like, I just realized, man, like, you know, I, I got a thousand of them. So, like, I, I've never been covetous with an idea because, you know what? Having an idea is one thing. Executing is, is a whole other different thing. And so I, I don't know if it's, like, ego or, or you know, you know or, or, you know, hubris to think, you know what? They're not going to be able to execute it without me anyway. You know what I mean? So, like, that's just always been my outlook on things and just my, you know, the way I proceed with things, you know? So, you know, and if I believe, if I strongly believe in something, man, I'm just going to push for it. I'm just going to go to bat for it. I'm going to swing. I'm going to swing. I'm going to swing. That's actually a, another great question. So for every, I'm assuming for every one of those big ideas that hit, there was probably a handful that didn't hit or that got, you know, killed on the vine, never got to see the light of day. So are you, when you're, when you really believe in a certain idea, do you really just kind of like hone in on that idea and you're like, this is the one we got to go with this? Or are you always just like throwing a thousand things at the wall and waiting for that one thing to stick and take a bunch of your attention? Um, if, if I if I feel really, really good about it, and it depends on the position that you are in. So if I don't have the power to execute it, meaning I can't green light it, then I have to find someone who can help me green light it. So then it becomes our idea. You sell them on the fact that it becomes our idea. Because one thing about this business, a lot of ideas die because if it's not that person's idea, they're not going to want to execute it. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's where ego comes in with what we do. Like, you know, again, just learning from Def Jam, it was a slogan that, you know, that they just say, the play don't care who makes it. You get what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't, like if you're going to make the play, like, it doesn't matter who, who made the play as long as we get it done, right? But again, people say that, but then sometimes ego kicks in and like, well, you know, that was my idea and it wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? So you have to kind of bring someone in and share it on the fact, okay, this is your idea, but this is how we should do it. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, this is how, this is how it should be planned out. And this is what, this is what we're going to need for. These are the resources we're going to need for, whether it's monetary or whether it's people, you know, and then once they buy into it and they can see the vision of how it can work, then they're taking it up to upper brass and then it happens. But you're right. For every one of those, 10 of those got shut down just because it's like, again, everyone have their own agenda. So if their agenda is something else, they're not even trying to see that plan or trying to hear that plan. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. I actually watched some documentary. I think it was that Bird vs. Magic documentary on HBO. Yeah. And one of the one of the quotes that I love that I heard in it was like, if you show me a successful person who has really accomplished something great, and I'll show you a million things that they didn't accomplish that 100%. they wanted to. You know. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, man. Um, 
you know, and, and again, the biggest testimony to my career to this point, because you're talking about I've been in this game for two decades, man, is one, being malleable and adaptive to change, right? Because I've literally been in the game since it's gone from analog to digital. Now, I mean, you're talking about when I, when I worked at Chung King Studios, 48 tracks, two-inch reels, you know what I mean? Dat tapes. You feel me? Task and, you know what I mean? Like putting, you know, you know what talking about those reels, like those big, those, those shits are heavy too. <laughs> those shits probably weigh like, you know, like eight to 10 pounds. So imagine you're trying to carry, you know what I mean? You're carrying reels. These were the albums was on. So like, I've seen things go from that to this, you know what I mean? To, to your phone, to, to a wave, you know what I mean? To just, to the cloud. So I think what helped me, man, I, I don't think I know. It's just being adaptive to change and not being too stodgy or stuck in my ways when it came to, you know, the things that was happening and changing around me. And, and again, I, and I said that to the latter, because that goes to the former part, man. Like sometimes being too attached to an idea or too attached to an artist can almost leave you with cement shoes. You feel mm-hmm. me? It was like, you're stuck in a moment. You feel me? Like a U2 yeah. song. You're stuck in a moment and can't get out of it. You feel me? Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I've noticed all the greatest executives and A&Rs, when you look at their resume, they never got too attached to an artist or to a star. They made stars. And the only time you hear anything disparaging about them is the people who didn't make it, right? So when you look at a Jimmy Iovine, uh, L.A. Reid, uh, uh, Russell Simmons, et cetera, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you'll hear people, like, you'll, you'll never really hear, you know, Avril Levine or Pink say nothing bad about L.A. Reid. You know what I mean? Like, he helped them get on. To this day, he's still in business with Usher. You feel me? You're talking about 30 years that they, they're still in business together. You know what I mean? But they don't get too attached, man, because you got to figure out what works and what's happening. And as, as the time revolves, you know what I mean? And as time changes. Yeah. And I don't say that to disparage any artist because, you know, I, I'm creative. So I know sometimes, you know, that process. But from a business standpoint, you have to always move forward. For sure. And that actually brings me to my next question for you. So now you're at United Masters. Uh, yeah. And at United, it's helping independent artists break. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be argued that it's easier to be innovative when you're dealing with, you know, like when you were working with The Weeknd or, you know, Missy Elliott or uh, Drake. But when you're working with these independent artists, what is the thing that you needed to adapt in your strategy? Like, how can you help an independent artist differently than you would when somebody's dealing with like a major label budget and, you know, a whole promotional machine behind them? Oh, well, you just used the key word, right? <laughs> budget. <laughs> but first and foremost, United Masters is is the is the brainchild of the brilliant, brilliant Steve Stout. And I don't say that because, you know, he's my employer. You know what I mean? And he's, you know, he, he, leads, the, he leads the charge. But I say that because just even what the company represents and is, it's, it's, it's crazy to even think about it. Like, you know, United Masters Translation is an advertising agency, a distribution company slash label, and a product. If someone would have mentioned that like 10 years ago, not even 20 years ago, they'd be like, how are you going to do all that? You feel me? And in fact, you know, we've been doing it. You know, I've only been here a year. The agency's been around 17 years. The label's been around like five, you know? So it's been happening, but, you know, in, in comparison to a, Uni- a, a, a Universal, a Sony, you know, or a Warner, you're talking about resources, right? Like, you know, like you, those are multi-billion dollar companies. The value prop that we bring to an artist is, one, owning your masters and owning your publishing, right? Because when you sign to a major like that, you know, to like the three I just mentioned, that's the, that's the you know, the, the value that you're giving up. You're giving up your, your, that ownership that you have of your IP and the product that you create. 
what I would tell artists or, or, or I think the way we help artists nowadays is, is to get them to understand to win where you are. Right. And that's, that's my saying, like, I like to win where I am because the beautiful thing about today is, is that you don't need a middleman. You can make a song on Monday, upload it, and it can be out on Friday. Is that optimal? No, because there still has to be marketing and promoting behind it, right? Because how are you going to cut through the 100,000 songs that are uploaded to these digital streaming providers daily? Because literally, there are. There's 100,000 songs that go up on Spotify every day. So now you got to think of it from a standpoint of, okay, I'm independent, but I'm competing with Travis Scott, Drake, Adele, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift for attention. So how do I carve out my niche? And I think, I think you know, the, the best way to help them understand is, man, listen, if you don't have resources, then you need to double and triple down on the, on the freemium opportunities for you, right? And that's, and that's the conversation that's where it gets uncomfortable for artists because that comes to social and that comes to marketing, right? And that comes to digital. And sometimes that's not second nature for, you know, for artists, right? Like I call it the peanut butter, no jelly theory, where it's like, some artists may have all the social capital, right? But the music doesn't connect. Or they have great music, but there's no social currency to be able to bring that through and build an audience. So from an independent standpoint, it's always audience building first because music is subjective nowadays, man. You know, people can like, it's a lot of bad music out there. I'm not going to name any artists, you know what I mean? But like, you know, again, and this is not me being the old guy or the old head because I don't even look at it like that. Like, you know, like I do my job. Like I know what I like. I have my taste. Um, we work with some great artists. You know what I mean? We just put out a Brent Fires track today called Moment of Your Life featuring Coco Jones. I got to do that plug. You know, and Brent Fires is a huge R&B star, right? And he's on a precipice of becoming a superstar. And then we also have a great rapper that we've developed and, made, uh, and, and built up from the ground up, a rapper by the name of Big X The Plug out of Dallas, Texas, right? And he has this record called Texas and that record just went gold. You know what I mean? So like, you know, like these are the different value props, but just getting them to understand, you know, I'm not talking about them too, but just artists in general, man, like, you know, you have to mark, like there has to be a story. Like what, what is the thread that people can pull on to connect with you? You know what I mean? To see themselves in your art, yeah. you know what I mean? And some artists do it really, really well. And more importantly, and, and I'll say this, you know, you know, you know, before we move on today's artists, it doesn't benefit you to try to be mysterious. Like you don't, you don't have that, you don't have that, you know, you don't have that, that lead way. You feel me? You can't do the Frank Ocean thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like only Frank Ocean can do the Frank Ocean thing. Right. Yeah. And even him at this point, somebody may deem him as a legacy act. Right. Cause Frank Ocean has been in the game over 10 years. His audience is waiting with bated breath for him to drop music. But like when you have artists who are, you know, constantly dropping content, the fan is just going to find somewhere else to engage. So that's how you got to figure it out. Yeah. I actually was talking about this with uh, my friend Jesse a couple of episodes ago. Now, if you're an artist, you can't necessarily just be like, well, I'm an artist. I'm not doing anything else for my career. It's like in 2023, you have to have an understanding of the business. You have to have a marketing understanding and you have to figure out how that fits your brand and your story. Because if you just leave it to someone else, they aren't going to know who you are and what you're building as an artist as well as you do. So you have to be kind of orchestrating how things are going. You could have people on your team that are posting for you or optimizing posts or working on a marketing plan, but you have to be willing to put your stamp on everything to make sure it's a good representation of you as an artist. One million percent. Now I mean, like, like it's non-negotiable. Yeah. It's really non-negotiable. You have to figure out, like to your point, you have to figure out what ways plays into 
your lifestyle or the way you want to curate and market yourself, but you still have to be in the place. <laughs> like, like on some old school rap shit, you got to be in the place to be. In the place to be on some DMC shit. Because if you're not, guess what? The fan is going to scroll and find someone else. Like, it's almost funny. Like, I remember, you know, and I love Cardi B. But I remember she used to always threaten, like, in you know, like a year or two ago, or any artist who threatened to shut down in social media. No one cares. Because guess what? Yeah. They're just going to go look at the next artist or the next yeah. influencer. You feel me? Like, they're not going to get offline because you're offline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you have to figure out, man, like, okay, how am I going to make TikTok work for me? How am I going to make Instagram Reels work for me? How am I going to make YouTube Shorts work for me? You know what I mean? Like, because this is where this is where the audience is. And then more importantly, this is what you got to do, too, because this is where my marketing hat comes in, you know, is that once you got them engaged there, the goal is to get them off of there and to go find you on other platforms. Right. Because that's really just enriching everything that's happening on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube. You need that currency to be on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Deezer. You get what I'm saying? Like. You know, and, and, and Pandora, et cetera. Like you need that, you need those likes, follows, you need that streaming stuff to go up. You know what I mean? So like that, I think that's the fight that the majors are fighting now with TikTok and stuff like that to figure out, you know, how to uh commodify their ecosystem, you know what I mean, to say, okay, cool. Cause sometimes, you know, a sound to go viral on TikTok and people only know the 20 seconds of the of the virality of that clip. They don't even know that Rich and Andre made that song. You know what I mean? Like, so we'll have a song on there that goes viral. You know, with 200,000 creates, you go to our page on Spotify, you know what I mean? Like we got a million streams. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't add up. So that's 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 the next phase of it. You know what I mean? So but but again, because that's, you know, again, me working in commerce and being the head of commerce at, at, at UM, that's the first question artists come in with. Playlisting. How can I get on today's top hits? Rap caviar, you know, the plug, you know what I mean? Or stuff like that. Or Ebro, Zane Lowe. Sometimes I joke around and say, you can't. I tell you, you can't. You can't get on there. But, you know, it's so many steps before you even get there because playlisting is an accoutrement to marketing. It's a side dish. It's not the main dish. It's not the entree. If you're marketed well or you have some social currency going on, the playlisting is going to come because, again, one thing Spotify can't do is afford to not have that Dre and Rich song in 10 or 15 of their playlists if they know that there's some social currency and things happening on the record outside of their ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, that's, I always equate like playlisting. It's almost like the new version of radio and radio always had that mentality. Like they want to be first to the thing they know is going to succeed. You know what I mean? They don't, they're not doing it to be first. They're doing it to say they were first. So it's the same thing with the playlisting you have to have all the other marketing components in place and you have to have some heat on socials so that, you know, if Spotify puts your track on a playlist, they're going to say, oh, look, this Spotify, this song is on our playlist. And then, you know, six months from now, this artist is the biggest artist out there, the most talked about artist out there. So everything is, we always say, part of a, a cog in a machine. Everything yep. is working together to get you to that bigger goal. So you, you can't really just focus on playlisting or, or socials. It's like everything has to be firing for the bigger picture stuff to happen. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because if, if, say, for instance, you get playlisted, there's nothing happening outside of that, right? Spotify, Apple, and all these DSPs, they see the click-through rate. So if there's nothing happening and people are saving a song or they're clicking through, you know what I mean, before they're not even listening to a minute of the song and they're clicking through it, and the song continues to drop, drop, drop in 
the, the you know, like the actual charts within whatever or the, dropping the standings for whatever playlist is in, it's going to be hard to come back to them again and pitch them on that artist. You get what I'm yeah. saying? Like it, it, it makes it tougher on that artist. So it's like, damn, like what else do they have going on? Because that's what you're going to hit. Like, they're going to hit you with. Literally, I'm texting with someone from a playlist right now. You know, from me, from a DSP right now. And it's, you know, and I can read you <laughs> verbatim, you know, what they just text me. You know what I mean? But it's like, hey, you know, we're going to monitor this. And that, that. Like, they're going to hit you with, you know, don't call us. We'll call you. So you have to make sure, man, that you're doing as much as you can. You know, like, because again, they're going to do the research too, man. Like, they're going to go and, you know, meaning, meaning the artist relations reps or the editors, they're going to go and see who is Rich and Dre. Let me see what they're, you know, I mean, how many followers they have on, you know, any respective platform. Like, what's happening? You know what I mean? Like, oh, and then again, too, some, and, and 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 this is not to discount the early adapters because every partner, every DSP has those those editors and those people who are early adapters. Who's, you know, what they may say, like, yo, I like this. That's this is why Fresh Finds is an ecosystem exists on Spotify, right? To be able to say, I like this. This is up and coming. It may be wholly independent, or they may be signed to a major, but they're just really low on the totem pole but we're going to put this in Fresh Finds Pop or Fresh Finds R&B or Fresh Finds Hip Hop and let it live in this ecosystem and, you know, and develop an audience there. Now it's now it's on the artist, their management or whatever their respective label or distributor is to take that and run with it and build it up. You know what I mean? And to build up brick by brick a foundation to build an audience, you know, to, to start the engagement process, you know? And I say this, you know, as, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm also an adjunct professor at NYU. I don't know if you knew that, but. That was going to be my next line of questioning <laughs> okay. was that you're an adjunct at Tish and uh, Clive Davis yeah. uh, Institute. Yeah, well, yeah, man. I love it. If you had told me I was going to be teaching 10 years ago, I'd have said you're crazy because I would never had not, nothing to do with kids or students and that type of shit. But the fact that I teach, you know, I work at Tish and it's at Clive Davis. It's all music related. It does. It feels like, like how I'm talking to you right now. Like it's just conversational the way I, I kind of instruct, but even when I'm dealing with them, you know, and, and it's been some, it's been some artists who come through the program man, like blue, the tiger and Maggie Rogers and you know what I mean? And Fletcher and stuff like this. But uh, like, and I'm not talking about them in general, but when I'm talking to artists in time, cause they're students, but they are artists. Right. And nothing drives me more crazy. When I go to their profile, I'm like, dude, you got six posts up, man. What do you want me to do with that? Oh, I archive everything. Okay. Like that, that's not helping someone who's actually interested in following you. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, you may get the layman's who are going to follow you because they saw something, they heard something, and now they're following. But they're not going to be active or super engaged because you're not giving them enough to be engaged in. So they're going to continue to go look at the new school blogs and the new school, you know, media, right? Because new school media is what? Say Cheese, No Jumper, you know, uh, uh, Shade Room, Spiritual Word, you know, Rap, all, uh, IG those pages are the new complex and pitchfork even though complex and pitchfork exist in those mediums i guarantee you the engagement on no jumper is probably 50 times higher you know what oh, i mean yeah. so like they're just going to go there they're going to go to new branches you know what i mean uh saving connie you know what i mean like all these indie pages and just to find out who you know to find to, to almost tell them what's next what should i be listening to so yeah. if they're following you and they're engaging in you engage back man like i tell i tell artists all the time take an hour out of your week you know what i mean to literally just go on your dms and go on your comments and just reply and ask people what they're doing you know that goes a long way dog do you know if i would have had this when i was a kid growing up had instagram and i can go on an ll cool j page and he replied back to me do you know that would have made me yo you know how i would have went crazy you know what i mean i would have went crazy like yo ll cool j just said what's up you know what i mean that i'm dating myself but i'm showing you 
you know, the titans of industry. You feel me? You can even, even with Eminem. Eminem, but again, some artists, they surpass that level that they don't have to do it. M has social media. Jay-Z doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you're not using social media as an artist, like even as a bigger artist, you're missing an opportunity to make fans that like your music like you more. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like that you get that personal engagement towards a person. Then it's like, oh man, so-and-so responded to me. That's so cool. I, I like them that much more, you know? Exactly. In a time when artists become pretty disposable because there's a million things out at any given time, like that's the type of stuff that's going to stick with somebody that's going to make them want to check out your next song. It's layman's, right? Well, you think is layman's. Me mm. and you talking about it. We work in the industry, so... <laughs> We thinking in A, B, C, D steps, right? You got to remember artists thinks A, B, D, F, G, back to B. So they are all over the place, right? And so it's our jobs to help them understand that. But you're right. That's how you create engagement by engaging. You feel me? Like you're you're part of the equation now. Like, you know, like, again, there's no passive engagement nowadays, man. Like if The Weeknd and Drake and Snoop Dogg and Ariana Grande and, you know, Selena Gomez, if they can post, you know what I mean? Like, who are you to think? You don't have to post. You know what I mean? Like Drake is constantly like, and Drake, again, people say what they want about Drake. Drake is the biggest star in the world. You know what I mean? Like, you know, straight up and down. Like it's who, who, who it's only two other names you might can throw in front of them. That's Beyonce and Taylor Swift. The two big things that I wanted to ask you about with teaching yeah. are one, what are the things that you pick up on this next generation of music industry people? What is different about this next generation than you know, people that you have seen come up through the years that are more like yours or my generation. You could keep it positive if you want. I know you don't want to bash your students, but it's like, (laughs) what are the things that you're like, well, this is the way these people think and it could change the way the music industry is? Listen, first and foremost, they're brilliant, right? And I say that with all due respect to, to, you know, to the students that I work with, they're brilliant. I see so much of myself in all of them, no matter what walk of life they come from. Because right, because some of them come from a couple dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean, some of them come from some privilege. You feel me? And, and and some of them come from you know walks of you know walks of like myself and yourself. You know what I mean? They probably just come from you know like you know middle class, you know you know working class families. But um, you know they're, they're smart, man. And, and and one thing I love about this generation, you know, unlike mine, is that they're inclusive. So like me. I got into, like, I, I'm, I'm an 80s baby through and through, right? So I grew up on the three-headed Hydra, Prince, Madonna, and Mike, right? I grew up on, you know, MTV. So, you know what I mean? I always loved the police, you feel me? And, you know, I would like Moody Blues or Dire Straits and all that type of shit just because I'd seen it. But, like, I didn't learn about some of classic stuff until I went to college, right? Like, that's when I got into Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Doors, you feel me? Like, one thing I love about this generation, man, is that they'll have the same affinity for... Playboy Cardi, Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift, and, you know, Tame Impala. Like, to them, it's just like, and they'll all be at the, they'll all go to these shows. You feel me? We're like, me, I was a hip-hop kid at, the, at their age. You feel me? So, like, if it wasn't LL, Run, the Beastie Boys, you feel me? Like, Wu-Tang or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, you know, I may have liked the stuff I talked about in the 80s, but I'm like, I ain't going to no damn, you know what I mean? I ain't going to see none of this shit. So, I really love that about them because that plays well in their collaboration and how they create. Right. Like it's a lot of cross collaboration that I see with the students at Tish and how they work together, man. Like like and I always tell them that, like network this way, like, you know, as opposed to trying to networking, you know, vertically network horizontal, because, you know, like that's where you're going to find your next Timberland. You feel me? Like and I mean that to say like Missy and Timberland, how like, you know, like they came up together. You feel me? Like that's how you may find Chad and Pharrell. You know, what I mean, like your next production duo. Cause he might be right in class with you or she may be right in class with you. That's another thing. So many fire dope as female producers, songwriters, and artists. You know what I mean? Like that was 
not to say like it haven't been around, but you see so much more of it. And I mean, I see yeah. so it's so much prevalent now to see a female engineer. You know what I mean? And producer. You feel me? Like yeah. doing it and doing it. You know what I mean? And making dope tracks and you know what I mean and great songs. So like I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, listen, they do have uh, shortcomings is the wrong word because I think sometimes the inundation and it, it's almost they have so much access that sometimes they don't know where to start. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like I, I use the you know it's like a double dutch. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if you know like double dutch in the hood when girls double yeah. dutch. Like they don't know where to jump in. Whereas like our generation was like, I'm gonna start here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna call this cat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna email this yeah. person. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't think they have that same gumption or that tenacity when it comes to these type of things. You know what I mean? Or they can get lost in their head. You know what I mean? It's like some kid Cuddy, like trapped in their own mind type stuff. But you know, at, you know, at the core, you know what I mean? Like they, it's, it's just different. You know what I mean? Like because they'll take that information, the fact what they do have, and they'll just figure out a way to do it on their own. Because again, I told you I moved to New York City. I worked in a recording studio. Nowadays, these kids, their laptop is their recording studio. They'll invest in some headphones and a decent mic and a program. You feel me? Whether it's FL Studios or Pro Tools or, you know, et cetera. Like, they'll do everything in-house. So that just gives them their own, you know, way to create and kind of their own trial and error. They're learning by doing. But then that's then. And then it's my job as not just a, a professor, but also as an executive creative is to understand, one, put it out. Don't sit on it because, you know, they'll sit on it, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they'll share it with me because they trust in me. Like, yo, what do you think about this? And I get these emails constantly. You know, what do you think? You know, like, and some of these kids are sitting on brilliant music. Like, you know, I, I got to use one kid, for example, and not just because who his dad is. But like he was in my class this summer, right? Kid named Jackson Lowe. His dad is Zane Lowe. I didn't know this until later. He sent me his music. Yo, I'm like, yo, like, yo, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do with this? Like, put this shit out, man. Like, yeah. it was so dope. Like, you can hear his influences. You can hear, like, you know, like, Frank Ocean is all in his, in his DNA, right? But it's his own spin to it. And he's writing and producing these tracks. And it sounds so fucking good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, Jack, I'm like, yo, bro, what are you doing? Like, like, put this shit out, man. Like, don't, like, like, I said, and another thing, too, I always like to tell him, I'm like, yo, it's old to you, but it's new to the world. You feel me? Because sometimes they're like, oh, man, I've been sitting on this track for a year or two. I'm like, bro, I just heard it. <laughs> you know, I just heard it. So just think it's a million people who are going to be like me when they hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can't worry about, like, I, I, the, when I talk to females, you know, uh, female creators I always like to use these four as the pillars. These, to me, these, these, this, this is just my cornerstone. Like, if I had to pick the Avengers or the Fantastic Four of female artists, this is who I tell them to emulate. From a business standpoint and from an entertainment standpoint, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, because they're, 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 they're top of the pops, right? Like they're handling their business and they're doing global world tours, right? They're, they're consummate professionals and entertainers. But when it comes to fearlessness, you have to take on the Madonna and a Lady Gaga approach. You have to be like water on duck feathers and let it roll. Like it's a reason why Madonna is iconic because she just didn't care. She did whatever she wanted to do. Obviously, we know Gaga is cut from that cloth, right? Like, Gaga wouldn't exist without that blueprint of who Madonna was. But, like, you need that fearlessness as an artist, right? Like, I also use DJ Khaled as an example. People like to clown on Khaled, but one thing I love and respect about Khaled is, is Khaled promotes Khaled. He doesn't hate on anyone else. You know what I mean? And he's going to always hit you with something. God did or, you know, another one, you feel me? Like he hits you with these marketing taglines that you remember. So if you're clowning on it, you're going to remember that. 
But also, more importantly, he has no problem with promoting himself. If it turns people off, then that wasn't for you anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's how you got to look at it, man. Like, you got to look at it like if people are going to hem and haw or complain, on, you know, like, people, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, hit people on my timeline. I'm like, then you're talking to the same 100 people every time you post something. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Like, you need you need to convert these to super fans and get them to spread, the, you know, to evangelize and spread the gospel. I think you could add Lizzo to that list as well. I know, yes. you know, there's yes. some problems in the media with her right now, but there's not an artist that works harder at every aspect of their career. Like, I remember hearing stories about her actually in the Monarch offices. I forget who it was, but somebody had worked with her that before she was anyone, before she even had a song out, she was finding ways to get into networking events to meet the right people, like mm-hmm. major industry people so that she could get the word out about herself. And she was fearless about it, acted like she belonged, presented herself well. And she was doing the same thing. She was working on the industry side at the same time. She was putting out her artist career. She was trying to build a fan base. She was making sure everything she was doing was perfect. And to to that point, not to cut you off, but to that point, Rich, when those songs finally hit, they were damn near two or three years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those songs that became number ones. You know what I mean? Multi-platinum records. They were two or three years old because she stayed the course. You know what I mean? Like she stayed down with the plan. You can't deviate from the plan. You know what I mean? It's like Hannibal from the A-Team. I got to go to the 80s. I love it when a plan comes together. Rest in peace, George (laughs) Papard. George Papard, baby. But like, you know what I mean? Like seriously, man, like put your plan together and then you stick with it. You can't be afraid to change. That's another thing you take from Madonna, right? Like, you can look at the cork, the arc of her career and, and look at the different looks she had, the different sounds she had, right? Yeah, her like eras. You got, you got, yeah, her eras, i.e. what Taylor doing right now. Yep. Eras. She's just doing it her own way. But again, that's cut from, you know what I mean? Everything has a source. Everything has, a, you know what I mean, a root. So, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not, they don't make the same type of music, Madonna and Taylor, but you just use the word because it's right. That's her eras. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what Taylor doing right now. She's taking you through her last 15 years of who she's been as an artist. She literally went from country to top of the damn pop. She's the yeah. biggest pop artist in the world right now, bro. Straight up and down. I Listen, I love Taylor Swift. You know what I mean? I really do. I ain't gonna even say it's a guilty pleasure. Taylor Swift is the truth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. one, and, and listen, you know, I'm gonna put it on record because I love Beyonce too, so I'm not gonna compete and put them against each other competing because I hate when they, I saw a Newsweek article that did that recently and I hate that. Because they're both fucking lions. Yeah. But I will say one thing I will edge out Taylor over Beyonce is Taylor be writing them songs. Yeah. I don't know if Beyonce writes everything she's on. I know her name is on it, but yeah. I know the dream and the different, all these different collaborators are part of that stuff as well. But Taylor be writing all them damn records. Now I mean, no matter how yeah. you feel about it, she writing them. And then to have the gumption to re-record all that shit, bruh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's balls of steel, man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. I salute it. So, you know, man, I, I just, I always try to tell, you know, students and the artists I work with, man, it's like, be who you are because you can only be you and no one can be better than you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, and I guess that comes with my, you know what I mean? My ego and my, you know, my, my you know, my, I don't want to say lack of humility because I don't like to use the word humble anyway. Because humble, I feel like humble makes, it's, it's suppressing. If you mm-hmm. look at the definition of what humble it, means. It's that old Jada yeah. kiss. I'm not cocky. I'm confident. So yeah, I'm super confident, man. I'm super confident. You know what I mean? But like, you know, I just believe, man, like, you know, I think I told you, like, you know, in the very beginning, man, like, you know, this idea, like, I'm going to enact it. So, you know, like, no one could do you better than you as an artist. And that's what makes you the best. You know, mm-hmm. for as good as Frank Ocean is, he's not the best vocalist. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
everyone has their something though, you know? Well, Dre, I know you, you got to jump here and I just want to, you know, say thank you so much for doing this interview. We didn't get to the risk takers documentary you're working on. So you got to promise me you're going to come back and, and talk about that. Cause that is next Friday, it. brother. Let's, let, let's do something next Friday. I'm around. I mean, I know it's the week holiday weekend, but I'm not going anywhere. You from, I don't know yeah. if you're here, but we can do the same back time, same back channel next week. We could talk about the risk takers and we could talk about more about Tish and more about UM, whatever, whatever, man. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the, you know, my door is open to you, brother. And, awesome. you know, I, I appreciate talking about this stuff because sometimes me talking about it, I forget how much I know. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just saying, like, I forget how much I've actually done. You know what I mean? Because, like, yeah. to me, you know what I mean? And, and, and this is something that, like, leave in, leave in there for this this part. I say I forget how much i actually done from a standpoint of, to me, it's always just about today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and sometimes it's mostly today. Like, okay, what I need to do right now so I can get to tomorrow. You feel me? Like, yeah. I don't try to hearken back too much. You feel me? Like, I ain't like, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, most people wouldn't even know I worked on fucking, you know, Method Red Man Blackout album or Jay-Z's Volume 3. You know what I mean? Like, I worked on it. I was part of these shits. You feel me? I could say I was yeah. in the room. I didn't, you know, I'm not going to act like, you know, I, I told your whole say that line again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to get crazy with it, but I'm part of that. You know what I mean? I can put that on, I, that's on my fuck, like, that's on my mama. I worked on that shit. You know what yeah. I mean? I was there. I seen Jay. I've been around him create. You feel yeah. me? So. But yeah, man, I mean, I'm just grateful to be able to do it, man. I'm grateful to be able to turn my passion into my profession. Yeah, and you do a, a damn good job at it, too. One of my favorite people I've ever worked with, man. I'm glad we're still friends, even though we're not really same, getting a chance to work day to day. Um, I same, man. I same. I appreciate it. I, I, and listen, I learned so much from you, dog, because I started working with you during a pivotal time when digital was becoming more pronounced and prevalent. Now I mean, and I learned that working under you guys and doing what you were doing, you feel me? Like working alongside you because I was doing digital and commerce and the way things were at Monarch, you know what I mean? Like, you know, everyone, it was an all hands on deck thing. So like just watching how you did it, man, helped me understand it. You know what I mean? And then more importantly, one thing about me, and, and I'll say this, you know, before I slide is I always ask a question if I don't know. So if I don't know how to do something, I'm going to come to you anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, yeah. thank you for always being there. You know what I mean? In that regard. Of course, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, in closing, let everybody know where they can, can look you up on social media. And uh, I'll include a link to the Risk Takers trailer you guys have in the Lohenberg website as well, too. You can follow me at Dre Howe, D-R-E-H-O-W on Twitter. Uh, don't pay too much, too much to it because I'm usually just talking sports and I'm arguing with people. <laughs> or you can follow <laughs> me at Dre Howard on uh, Instagram, D-R-E-H-O-W-A-R-D at Dre Howard. All right. Thanks again, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bro. Talk soon. All right. Are you ready?